Oh man, okay, we're gonna we're gonna make it. Thank you, Morgan. Um, and and if you don't know, we have uh, we have several families within Origins who have felt very called to foster an adoption, and. I think we've stated it many times, like it's probably the best physical expression of what the gospel looks like uh, that we can possibly see, like adopting a child that doesn't have family or has family that's just not working really well right now, bringing them in, saying, you need family, we have family, come be a part of ours. I mean, that's what God does with the gospel, and so we celebrate what you guys do, Thank- super thankful. And I would encourage you, too, uh, to pray for the burdens, to pray for the Picardies. We have a couple other families that are involved with it, too, that I don't know if they're super public with that, and that's okay. If you know their stories, uh, you talk to them. Um, I know we got the Reeves back there. Good to see them. I know they've been through the adoption fund, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, not, it's like it's not easy. Uh, parenthood's never easy, but adoption makes things hard sometimes, and that's just the way that it is. But it's also incredibly valuable, worth it, and it demonstrates the way that God loves us and the way that we get to love someone else. So be sure to pray for them and ask them over and say, look, we'd love to have you over, feed you and all your kids, and we don't care if, you know, if they run everywhere in our home, that's fine, and just hear their story, like hear the reason God has called them into that, what God's done through that. And Morgan, thank you for, uh, for being a voice in that for us. We appreciate it very much. So, in light of all that, <clears throat> let's tick some people off. No, I'm kidding. Uh, like I said earlier, if you, for, for the 12 of you that were here on time this morning, by the way, we start at 9.30. That's not just on the website anymore. That's reality. Um, we are starting at 9.30. Eight people, I said 12, that's generous. Eight people got the memo. Four were standing back there yakking, getting coffee. 9.30 is when we start, and the reason that we do that is because it's only 9.58 right now, and your long-winded pastor is about to start, and our kids in the back are going to be grateful that we get out on time, and the volunteers are going to be even more grateful that we get out on time, and so we're going to jump in. So before we do it, I'm going to kind of reiterate a couple ideas that I pitched out at the beginning. When we read this text today, um, there will be a tendency to think that, A, you're being singled out, okay, and like you're being picked on. You're not. The other option, number two, is that this doesn't apply to me because you're picking on that other person that's ticked off right now, uh, so this doesn't apply to me at all. And let me tell you, it, it does, okay? So put that aside. And then the third one was, like I said, you may be here and you're just indifferent. You came for whatever reason. You came because there's Guatemalan coffee back there and hot chocolate that you can put in it, and that's really good one day a week. Even if you're trying to avoid sugar, it's worth it one day a week. Maybe you came for that reason or you thought the chairs were really comfortable, or you like the drapes that they hang for certain weddings, and they're here, whatever. You're not here for this. If you're here at all, I'm grateful that you're here. And if you still leave indifferent, like you don't really care, like I would lo- I'd love to talk to you. Like I'd love to have a conversation. And um, thank you for being our guest, and we'd love to talk more. But today, we are continuing to talk about money. Um, and like I said a couple weeks ago, if you weren't here when we kind of started this short little series on money, when we think about money as believers and as Christ followers, like we're trying to get away from this idea of looking at it as an X's and Y's kind of a thing, as a a pluses and minus budgeting issue, but instead like money has to be a heart issue, like it's a discipleship issue. What we do with our money um, reveals what we feel about God, because again, like we've talked about, some of the pervading ideas, prevailing ideas have been like, it's all His, and we've just been called to steward it. And so how we steward it reveals what we know about the character of God, how much we love the character of God, how much we're trying to be like Jesus, all of those things. So this is a discipleship issue. And so today, 
the one word that we're going to try to focus on, and if we were doing Pee-wee's Big, Big Adventure or Pee-wee's Playhouse, which was a kid that, uh, you know, a show that I watched growing up as a kid, which was probably really creepy in retrospect, they always had a word of the day, like a word of the day. And every time you heard that word, what did you do? Does anybody know? Nobody watched this show. My wife did. What's that? You didn't repeat it. No, you yelled. And so, like, you know, just to practice, like if I said, I don't know, Maserati, which is never going to come up in normal language. You know, it's an overpriced car that has poor quality control. Like if I said Maserati, though, if I said that, you would go, ah, you would yell. Today, the word of the day is contentment. Okay? It's contentment. There you go. You're catching on. Okay. So, just for instance, if I use the word contentment, in a, yes, in a, in a phrase, you are free to yell, okay? And if you yell, I will pause what I'm saying, I'll wait for you to be done, and then I'll pick up that thought. But the word of the day is contentment. Thank you. Water's going to get it, and he's going to lead that charge. So, some people join in behind him, please. So, because we don't want him to feel awkward. So, here's what I'm going to ask you to pray before we jump in. Number one, um, pray for patience. Okay, I want you to be patient this morning as we work through these texts. We're looking at three kind of bigger chunks of, of Scripture this morning. Uh, pray for patience because it's very, it would be very easy for you to hear a couple things and cash out and just be done. Don't want that. Want to listen to the entirety, what, what we're trying to go for. So pray for patience. Number two, like pray for God to speak directly to your situation. Like even though there's a ton of different situations right here, a ton of different, a ton of different ledgers being represented, like pray for God to speak to your specific situation. And then three, pray for boldness to do what he asks. Okay, patience to listen, um, speak to your certain situation, and then boldness to do what he asks. Um, because I, I, I do believe this. Even though there's some very, um, very particular words about circumstances in these passages that we're, we're going to read today, like I have no doubt that it, it absolutely applies to everyone sitting in these chairs, every single one, not just because it's the Bible, but because it's the topic that we're looking at. And so... I'm going to give you just a minute, just to yourselves, patience, pray for God to speak directly to your need, and then pray that you would have the boldness to respond. And then I'll, I'll pray for us, and then we'll jump in. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for... Uh, the heart behind it, uh, because you desire to be known, and you desire for us to know you in return, and then to make you known for those who do not. God, I thank you that your word is not just a good idea, but it is the way in which we know you and uh, learn who we are in light of you. God, I do pray that as we read and as we think, you give us the patience uh, to endure. Um, Father, you give us uh, you give us that exact word that we need today for where we are and how we are, where our heart is. And Father, then I pray that through your spirit, you give us the boldness to respond, uh, to act in accordance to your will and what you would have us do, who you would have us be. And Father, as a result, I pray that you refine and grow your kingdom and that your name would be greater uh, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, and in this city. Uh, thank you for loving us. Thank you to, for calling us to more. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So we are going to, to kick off in Matthew chapter 19, still talking about the gospel and money. And uh, we're going to be in 19 verse 16 through the end of 30. You can also find kind of parallel accounts for this in Mark 10 and Luke 18. Um, but we're just going to jump in. We're going to read through all these verses, then kind of 
bust back through them again. So Matthew 19, verse 16. And it says, Behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. And if you would enter life, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said to him, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I've kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away very sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And so last week we talked about a parable. Uh, we looked at a parable in which uh, there were talents and money and we were looking at ideas of stewardship and, and how we manage what God's given us and what's the results of that. Like if we do it well, he's going to give us more so that we can manage it well, so we can have more of that kind of idea. And if we don't do it well, then it reveals something that we don't know God. And if we don't know God, in the end, when he comes back to look for what's his, his people and his stuff that he's been so generous with, uh, he's going to make a judgment. And so this week, not a parable. And so the beauty of looking at parables is it is metaphorical. There's a lot of things that we can pull out. But the danger of looking at parables is it's a metaphor. There's a lot of things that we can pull out. But today, it's not one of those. Today is a literal experience or an encounter that someone had uh, with Jesus. The synoptic gospels, they, they either say rich young ruler or rich man. The one thing that we do is know that he was male and that he had a lot, very likely. Um, but he had a lot by their standard. Like, that's one thing we need to be aware of. Like, in context, rich then, rich now could mean a whole lot of different things. We get a little demonstration as to what that means as we go. But just kind of getting from the very beginning, starting there, it says, look, a man came up and he said, teacher, a rabbi. You know, probably not capital R rabbi, but lowercase r rabbi, just someone who teaches, someone who's respected. Um, what must I do or what good deed must I do to have eternal life? There was this Hebrew notion going around that it could be like one good thing. If there was just one good thing, good enough, and even if it was just one, just one good thing, and your ledger would be cool. Okay? And they didn't even look at necessarily the, the, the balances of holiness versus sin in their culture. But they did look at the things that they did. And very often it was the things that they did that were noticed by other people. And sometimes there was a question that would come up. And in this case, it was just this rich young man. He said, teacher, um, what's the one thing I could do to have eternal life? That's all he asked. His question's very much revelatory of like who he is and the things that he's thinking about. But basically, he just says that. We'll come back to it in just a little bit. And so Jesus said to him, he's like, well, why do you ask me what is good? He's like, there's, there's only one that's good. 
There's only one that's good. Now, the other gospel writers, they include that this is God. Okay, Matthew being the most Jewish of our gospels, uh, his audience would have understood exactly what he was talking about. So Matthew didn't feel the need to write that down, most likely. But the other gospel writers did. You know, Luke's very universal, Mark, action-packed. Remember, Michael Bay of the gospels, that kind of deal. And so they would say, and the only one good is God. It was implied with Matthew. But basically, he was like, so what, you know, you're asking me about good. But because you're asking me about good, you're, you're probably missing something. You're, there's only one that's good, and it's God, and you're not that. But anyway, you can ask me about good. And so he said, uh, there's only one that's good. And he said, but if you would enter eternal life, or if you would enter life, or if you would like to do something to get yourself there, hey, just, just keep the commandments. Just keep the commandments. Now, when he's talking about the commandments, he's referring back to like that kind of master list, those Ten Commandments that we find in Exodus. You know, and we've talked about those a little bit. Those first few, we're talking about our relation with God. Have no other gods before me. Don't make any carven idols and worship them. Don't take the Lord's name in vain, those kind of things. But then there were some horizontal reflections of those. You know, how we feel about our parents and how we honor them. We don't steal. We don't commit adultery. We don't kill people. You know, those kinds of things, those commandments. And so Jesus said, you know, if you would like to do something, no big deal. You know, if yeah, if you just want to do, just, just keep those. That's all. Just keep those. And so you would expect, you would expect, like if you told me, an objective individual, that hey, and now granted, I got a little time with this. I, I've been walking here for a little while. Most of you have too. But if you came to me and you said, hey, all you got to do to get eternal life, to live forever with God, that's the implication, is just, you know, those Ten Commandments. Just keep those perfectly. If you told me that, I'd be like, oh, I'm in trouble. Uh, yep, I'm out of luck. But this guy, he didn't say that. He just said, which ones? Which ones? Now, Jesus is about to give a, a small sampling of the commandments. Does he know something that we don't? Is he leading the witness? I don't know. But either way, he gives like this small little sampling. So uh, he said, which ones? And Jesus said, you know, don't murder. Don't commit adultery, which is sex outside of marriage, period. Um, you shall not steal. Uh, don't bear false witness or lie. Honor your father and mother, father and mother, and love your neighbors yourself. Just, just a few of them. I'm just going to give you a couple. And again, again, you're asking me about good. There's only one that's good. That's God. It's apparently not you. But you're asking me one thing that you can do. I'm just going to give you a few. How about you do these? And, and so his response is this. The young man said, oh, I've done all these. I got that. No problem. No problem. Maybe he had. Maybe Jesus asked him about the ones that he had done. Maybe Jesus knew. Like, he looked at this guy, and he's like, man, he's been, he's been 40% really good. You know, in these areas, he's got a pretty amazing batting average right now. So I'm, I'm going to toss those out first. But I don't, I don't know why he did that, okay? But either way, he asked him about those few. And this guy, who's looking for just that one thing, um, he says, which ones? Jesus names them out. And he's like, yep, got those. Check, 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 check. Big check. I'm good. So Jesus kind of throws out another question. Jesus kind of says, uh, well, if you'd like to be perfect, because you like one thing, one thing. He's like, all right, let me hear it. Um, he said, if you would like to be perfect, which is what the guy's going for, because again, if we're trying to live up to something that can't be earned, but we're trying to earn it, then the expectation is that we have to be perfect at it. And so if, he said, if you would like to be perfect or complete, go, sell what you possess, give to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. So basically, the guy still lacked one thing, 
And a lot of times when we read this passage, we read this passage and we kind of take it a bit out of context and we're like, okay, so I need to go and sell everything. Um, I need to give it to Miracle Hill and then I'm going to be okay. Well, here's the beauty of Jesus, okay? He's looking at this guy, like this guy right now. This guy that came said, I just want, just, just, just give me that one thing. What's that one act that I can do? And so he gives him a few. He's like, no, 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 I've done those. What, what do I still lack? And so Jesus looks at that, that man, this man, in this place, in this time, and he says, okay, okay, here's, here's one thing, but it's kind of really four. But it revolves around one idea, one heart. All that stuff you've got, you rich young man, I want you to go and sell it. Go sell all of that. And then I want you to give it to the poor, you know, the proceeds of that, give it away. Um, and then after you do that, follow me. Follow me. So here's, here's where it starts. You may be listening and you're like, man, he's picking on me because I've got money. Okay, he's, how does he know? I don't know, but he knows I've got money, okay? He, he shouldn't know what's in my bank account. Maybe he does, but either way, like he's, I know it. He's picking on me because I've got money and he's telling me I need to go and sell everything. I don't like this guy at all. But then you're also sitting there and he's like, man, I'm being let off really easy because I'm dirt broke does not apply to me at all. You know, I got two pennies. I rub them together frequently to remind me that's all I got. And uh, I've worn a hole in my pocket by doing it so much. So that, that's all I got. And so obviously it doesn't apply to me. Let's go back two weeks. Okay. Two weeks. We're going to start here. Two weeks ago, we talked about like what our impressions are of being rich. Okay. Um, and like world scale, world scope, like, and I do think we need to look globally when we think about these things, when we're talking about what we endure as Christians, what we believe as Christians, how we, how we do those things, we need to take a global perspective, not just an American perspective, because if we're taking just an American perspective, it's going to be rather skewed, and we're not going to know what it looks like to really follow Jesus some days. But anyway, not picking on America, but I am. So take a global perspective. Rich, rich, top 1% in the world. Does anybody remember the number I tossed out? If you make above this, you are in the top 1% of the entire world. $44,000. 44. Okay? That's taking inflation into account. Okay? I may be off two, $3,000, give or take. That doesn't matter, but $44,000, you, you exceed that by a dollar, uh, you're in the top 1% of the entire world. And that makes you rich. Okay? Rich. Just from financial, financial stuff. But the interesting thing here, when Jesus talks about this man's wealth, like, he doesn't say give away all your money. He says go and sell all your stuff. Okay, so already, number one, like, understand, those of you who think you're being picked on, you're not. Those of you who think that you're, it doesn't apply to you, you're wrong too. Um, so we're all rich, so we're picking on everybody. Uh, or Scripture's picking on everybody. I'm not picking on you. Like, Scripture's picking on you, me, all of us, is all the we's. Um, and so, but then when Jesus talks about all of his stuff, he talks about his stuff. He says, I don't want you to go and empty your bank accounts. He says, I want you to go and sell all your stuff. And then from the proceeds of that, I want you to take it down to Miracle Hill and say, here's all my money. Do with what you want. Take care of the poor. Or you go directly to the poor. Give it away. Here's the thing. Most of us think about our, our wealth and everything. We think that we're excused because we don't have a ton of money. But I promise you, if all of us are thinking critically and objectively, if Jesus asked us to do the same thing, Go and sell all your stuff, get rid of everything, full liquidation, take that money, give it away. Uh, every one of us would have a problem with that. Like, I can, I can bet 98.9% .9 of us would have a problem with that today. And the other 1.1% are asleep. 
you're not awake. You're not hearing me at all. So 98.9 plus the sleepers, 100%. Like we'd all have a problem if Jesus spoke directly to me and said, hey, um, go sell all your stuff. Your house, your, your, your cars, uh, your bicycles, your 2.5 kids. You can't sell those. I'm joking about that. That's the American dream. Um, you could have two and a half dogs. Those are possessions, believe it or not, and that's okay. I'm not speaking ill of dogs, but they are. They're possessions. You sell them. You sell all that stuff and then just, you know, sell it. Give it to the poor. Like, every one of us would be like, I don't know, God. I mean, that's a good idea for the rich people, but I'm not that guy. Well, we kind of are. We kind of are. So where does that, like, where does that leave us? Well, let's, let's look at the rest of the passage. So he tells him, he's like, uh, yep, go and sell everything. You like one thing. Here's what it is. Uh, if you would be perfect or completely complete... Go sell what you possess, give it to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven. You won't have treasure here, but you're going to have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. The reason he was telling it to this guy in this place, in this time, and we might need to hear it in this time, in this place, in this heart, is because the goal was for this guy, what he really needed for eternal life was to follow Jesus. That's what he needed, was to follow Jesus. But the problem was, what was standing in his way of following Jesus was all of his stuff. All of his stuff. All of his things. The accumulation of all that stuff. So verse 22, we'll come back to that. The young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The young man, he walked away, he's like, you ask too much. Can't do that. I got to go. So he leaves. And then Jesus kind of, I'm sure there was, there was heart here, because even if we read the book of Luke, the reason that, that Jesus said what he said, it says he looked at him and he loved him, so he told him what he needed to hear. He told him the truth. And then when he walked away, I'm sure that it was painful for Jesus, but, but he told him what he needed to hear. He wasn't going to change the truth because he loved him. Truth was there always and will always be there. So will his love. But then he turns to his disciples and he says, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. What's funny is I've heard this text and I've heard commentators try to say, well, needles were a lot different back then. You know, our eyes of needles now are really, really small. And once you hit 38, you can no longer thread the, the stuff through the needle, the string through a needle anymore, thread uh, because they're so small. Back then, they were bigger. Well, the problem is camels were still the same size, so it doesn't really matter. Okay, camels haven't really changed that much. As a matter of fact, living in zoos, camels are probably bigger. Okay, so it, it doesn't change the fact. Like, getting a camel through the eye of a needle, not going to happen. Getting a camel in this cup is not going to happen, and this cup's way bigger than a needle. So, basically, he's just saying, look, for someone that's rich, that values that stuff, that roadblock is there, understand it's incredibly hard for them to get into heaven or have what this guy is asking for, which is eternal life. It's just hard. It's hard. He's giving a warning. And then his disciples, when his disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished because they said, who then can be saved? Here's what they didn't say. They didn't say, well, we're, we're okay because we're not rich. No, they looked at it and realized the same thing that guy was struggling with, even though they had far less, they would struggle with it too. There's the universal idea right there. We're all going to fight it. Every one of us. 
I mean, Jesus had already looked at the disciples. Several of them were blue-collar guys. You know, there was a tax collector in the mix. There were some thinkers in the mix, but none of them had a whole lot of stuff by world standards. But apparently they had enough stuff to know that if I have to let go of that and, and follow Jesus, man, it's going to be that camel and that needle thing. It's going to be hard. And so they looked around at each other, you know, at the other 11, and then those couple hundred that may have been following at this point, and they were like, hmm, then who? If that's the case, like, then who's going to get into heaven? And so Jesus gives this. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 26. But Jesus looks at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. All things are possible. Let's flip to 1 Timothy chapter 6, 6 through 10 to kind of tack on some ideas here before we drop the, the big bomb. Chapter 6, verse 6 says, But godliness with contentment. Well, soon we do forget. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who, there you go, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And so what a lot of people do is they're going to take this text, they're going to add it to the other text, and they're going to say, hey, it's wrong to have a lot of stuff. Money is the root of all evil. No, it's not saying that at all. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of our stuff is the root of all evil. Like if we go back two weeks and we remember Matthew chapter 6, one of those first premises that he tossed out there before going into the idea of look at the birds, look at the flowers, look at the grass. He said, look, you, you cannot serve two masters. You will love one and hate the other or flip it around, the opposite of that, because you can't love God and money. The issue is having money things stuff is not the problem, but loving it, desiring it, chasing after it is. Having money is not the problem. Having things is not the problem, but loving it, desiring it, chasing it is. Because like we said a few weeks ago, just kind of in, in passing by, at some point, our, our loyalties are going to be divided. This is human nature, and that's the reason uh, Paul even points it out in his letter to Timothy, like a fatherly instruction to his spiritual son Timothy, who pull, he pulled out of obscurity, took him on the road, showed him what it meant to follow Jesus, and then blessed him to shepherd and guide other people. He said, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. He's like, look, this money thing that we all need, we all have to have, we all have to have jobs. If we we chase it, if we pursue it, what it's going to lead to is us chasing it and pursuing it even more to the point of us even walking away from this faith that we've claimed. He said, Timothy, I've seen it. I've seen it happen. And in the context of that story, when Jesus is talking to this man whose name we don't know, but we do know his characteristics, he was looking for one way into heaven, just one thing that he could do. And Jesus said, no, 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 it's not about the one thing you can do. It's about the one thing you love most. And it can't be money. It can't be your stuff. 
Because it's not money that's the problem. It's not stuff that's the problem. It's when we start to love it that it becomes the problem. Because, see, our hearts are interesting. We can compartmentalize our entire life, right? Um, we can compartmentalize our work life and our home life. We don't bring our, home, our work home. We can do that. And sometimes that's very healthy. Like I've got buddies that are in law enforcement. They, they don't need to bring their work home. You know, their kids and their wives, they don't need to hear that. Or their husbands, if, if they're, I know some women that are in law enforcement too. Um, even as a pastor, to be honest, my, my work, there's some of it I can't bring home. Like there are some things that my wife does not need to know because I've been called to bear that and she might not have been called to bear that. There are parts about your jobs, uh, like especially those that work with just painful, painful things. Sometimes we have to compartmentalize, compartmentalize those things and we, we don't take them home. But the problem is our hearts can't compartmentalize love. Like it doesn't work like that. Like, it never, it never will. Like, that's not how they were made. They have different areas that, you know, pull blood, pump blood, but that's not, you know, when we say heart, look, our, our heart doesn't really have emotional capacity. It's just where we place it there. But it's our soul. It's our mind. It's the totality of ourselves. We can't compartmentalize how we love. It, it just doesn't work like that. We were made to love singularly, and at some point, even if we think we're doing a pretty good job of that, we're going to say, I, I love my stuff half, and I love Jesus half. That's just not going to last very long, maybe for a minute. Maybe for 30 seconds, but at some point, it's going to be 51, 49, 60-40, 80-20, 95-5, 100%. Like, it just it doesn't work like that. Like, Satan knows exactly what we desire, and most of the time, what we desire is more. Like, more. That unquenchable thirst for more. Like, that's, that's how we were made. You know, I love the Lord of the Rings. Like, I'm a nerd like that, and that's, you know, love him, holding my precious, you know, that kind of thing. Like, that's, that's what happens at some point. And if you don't pick up on the nerd reference, that's okay. Money's not the problem. Having things not the problem. It's when we love them more than we love God. That's the problem. The Imago Day of God, the image of God, we were all made in it. And I believe that there's a, this, I call it like the, the fingerprint evidence. Like we were, we were made in certain ways that he was, and, and, and I think it's lasted even through a culture of sin and brokenness and that kind of thing. There's always going to be evidence that God made us in a very specific certain way. And one of those is that we, we have a desire in us to worship. Like there's a part of us, even if someone is agnostic or atheist uh, or atheistic, you know, whatever it may be, there's, there's still that desire of worship. And whether they say they're a spiritual person or not, you can look at their life and you can say, oh, well, well this is what you worship. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm an atheist. No, no, I didn't say you're worshiping God, but you're worshiping something. We're all born, created with this bent to worship something. And the thing that we love the most is what we're going to worship every day. The thing that we love most is what we're going to worship. Because worship, at the end of it, is what we allow to, uh, for ourselves to apply worth to, the greatest worth to. Worth it, worship is worthship, what we're giving worth to. And if that's money, if we, if we place our, our hope and our worth in money, then that's what we're going to worship. It's not about having it. It's about worshiping it. So it becomes a problem. And so then this idea that Paul puts out here, he, he kind of gives us a solution. Starting in verse 6, he says, But godliness with contentment, the root words used there, you can still yell, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Let's flip over again uh, to Philippians 4, 10 through 13. A very, a text that's often taken way, 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 way out of context 
It makes its way into tattoos for athletes. It makes its way into bumper stickers for all kinds of things. Pageant contestants claim it as their favorite quote. All of those things, I've heard it. Don't, don't, don't disbelieve me. It happens. Um, not that I'm a, a fan of pageants and go to a lot of them, but I've seen a few. In here. <laughs> Never mind. We can't, can't chase that rabbit. Uh, Philippians 4, verses 10 through 13. It says, this is Paul speaking to the church of Philippi. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. And in every circumstance, I have learned the secret. Pay attention. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Here's the verse that's taken out of context. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, most of the time, we take that and we apply it to a really hard situation. Like, uh, um, like me, five foot, six and a half, five foot seven with good shoes on. Um, I'm going to try out for the Denver Nuggets because I can do all things through God who strengthens me. I, I can do it all. Um, I can do it. I can't. I can't. Let me just be honest. Denver Nuggets, they're going to laugh at me and say I wouldn't even make it as a towel boy. Okay. It, w it wouldn't happen. I'm not even tall enough to reach the can where you drop the dirty towels in, nor would I really want to touch sweaty towels all day long anymore. I passed that stage in my life. So anyway, not what it's saying here, okay? This particular text right here, Paul's talking to the church at Philippi, and he's saying, look, I I I'm super grateful for what you've done. Like, if you read the book of Philippians, he talks to them, and he's like, you guys have taken care of me at every turn. Even when people didn't want to take care of me, you have. You've done it, and I'm super grateful. And then he talks about, like, there have been times where I've had plenty. There's been times where I've had none, but I've learned the secret to it. I've learned the secret to contentment in this. And he says the secret to contentment is verse 13. People aren't yelling. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The point of this is this. Like, the secret of contentment, there we go, is actually trusting that no matter how much you have or how little that you have, God has you. The secret of contentment is realizing either how much you have or how little you have, God has you. The secret of contentment is faith. There we go. The secret of that word, I made this problem for myself. The secret of that, that word that sounds like contentment but starts with a C is Faith. Faith. And you know, this, this little phrase right here, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, sounds so much like what Jesus said to his disciples when they looked around and they said, but who? Like if that's the case, if, you know, camel, I have a needle kind of a thing, like the wealthy people, really, really difficult in inheriting the kingdom of God. Like if, if they can't, then, then how can anybody? And he says with man, not possible. But with God, all things are possible. All things are possible. The leaning of our heart is to love our stuff and our money more than anything else. And the only way that we will conquer that, the only way that we will get past that, is believing in God and saying, thank you for my stuff, but I want to love you more. It's that simple. Like, thank you for my stuff, but I want to love you more. Thank you for my stuff, but, but I want to love you more. And I'll be honest. If your problem with your stuff is so extreme that he's not going to fix it just by changing your heart, he may ask you to change your stuff. 
Like this guy in this particular passage, he looked at him and he looked at him individually. And he looked at him and he said, look, the one thing you lack that you're not going to get past is your love for stuff. And the only way you're going to get past that is to get rid of your stuff. If you want to follow me, the only way that that's going to happen is if, if your stuff is no longer there and you don't love it anymore. And the only way you're not going to love it anymore is if you don't have it. There is a chance that if you love your stuff so stinking much, if I love my stuff so stinking much that there's no way that I can have it and love Jesus at the same time, there's a good chance that he's going to say, get rid of your stuff. It could happen. But we go to Paul and we look. He's like, I've had a lot. I've had very little. I've had everything in between. And I've found the secret to being happy with that, fulfilled with that, content with that. Thank you. It's that I've learned that I can do all of this through him who strengthens me. I can thrive with a lot. I can thrive with a little. I can thrive with just enough. I can thrive as long as it's not me doing the strengthening, it's God. As long as it's not me doing the strengthening, it's God. And again, I, I think part of those steps for that is this. Like, number one, I think that we have to be honest and we have to say, God, if my stuff is causing me a problem and the only way for me to get around that is to get rid of it, tell me. He might not need to tell you. You might already know. But if your struggle is, God, I do. Like I, and, and we should all be. This is the, the level playing field right here. Like, we're all on the same place. There's no way we're not going to love our stuff because we work for our stuff, we earn our stuff, we pay for our stuff, we put it on a nice shelf that we also worked for and paid for or we're paying for over the course of 30 years, whatever it looks like. Maybe you got a 15-year, you're a lot wiser than me. But either way, it's still your stuff, according to the bank. And so if your problem is, I'm going to love that stuff more than I love Jesus, either A, we get rid of that, or B, Jesus does a work in our heart because he needs to. But we have to invite him in to do that. And it starts with us acknowledging, man, stuff on my shelves, the stuff in my bank accounts, the stuff in my cedar chest, whatever it may be. Like, I love that a lot. But Jesus, I want to love you more. I want to love you more. And like, I'll be honest, like this stuff, like there's a lot of places in the Bible that we can read and it can apply universally to everybody. Okay, everybody, Christ follower or not. There's a lot of places where it's just like, man, that is solid, great advice. You read through the book of Proverbs, like godly wisdom, there's hardly anything in the book of Proverbs that anybody could take, whether they believe in God or not, and say, you know what, if I applied that to my life, my life would probably go a little easier. But this idea, this idea doesn't apply to the rest of the world, but it does totally and necessarily apply to people who follow Jesus. We have to choose to love him singularly with an unquenchable fire. Because when other stuff comes in that vies for our emotions, if we don't love Christ singularly with an unquenchable fire, those other things, they will. They will pull us away. They will pull us away. And Paul, talking to, the pe talking to Timothy, he's like, look, we've already seen it. We've already seen it. And Jesus even addressed it. He was telling the disciples well before the cross, well before the confession of Jesus being raised from the dead, well before all those things. He's like, you got to understand, someone that's rich and loves their stuff, camel, eye of the needle, really hard. Really hard. And if it was up to man, it wouldn't happen. No matter how many times they said, what's that one thing, Jesus? There is no one thing. There's no one thing you can do. There's no one thing I can do. It takes trusting God to grow a love in me that is greater for him than it is for anything else. 
trusting God to grow a love in me that's greater for him than anything else. And we have to keep that in check. Like, we have to take stock of what we love. Like, if we truly want to be linked and yoked to Jesus the way he says that we need to be, like, his burden is light, his yoke is easy, it's still a burden, it's still a yoke, we're not going to say it's not because it is, and that's okay. If we want that, we need to ask frequently, God, are there things that I love more than I love you? What is it? Maybe it's money. Whatever it is, whatever that X is, God, I don't want to love that more than you. And you know what we do with that? We repent, we confess. God, I've been chasing after this more than I've been chasing after you. I love this more than I love you. I want to love you more. And so he's going to deal with that. One way could just be a change of heart. That'd be awesome. Just change your heart. Another way, you could be like that rich young ruler. He may ask. Get rid of it. Even if it's something that's not in and of itself sinful. It becomes sinful when we love it more than God. It actually becomes an idol. Then it actually starts to violate those first couple commandments, which we talked about in those first few weeks. If we're loving it more than God, we're ascribing worth to it. We're actually worshiping it. We've created an idol of it, and he's going to say, get rid of it, whatever that looks like. But, but let's, let's assume now that we all fall in the category of those first two people that we talked about in those par- that parable last week, Okay. Uh, let's, let's play with that one just for a minute. Let's, let's assume that we are, we've been good stewards of what God's given us. Because there's a good chance, like, let's, let's think the best. If you are, by what the world would say, rich, and that's 44K plus, you know, if you're that, or wherever you sit in that, if you have those things, let's, let's assume, let's hope, let's be spiritually optimistic that that is because um, God gave you a little, you did really well with it, And he's looking at you like, hey, you've done good with that. I'm going to give you a little bit more, okay? So now you have a bit of an abundance that he's trusting you to steward with. And so now you would fall into that category of rich, okay? So what do you do with that? Well, 1 Timothy, again, Paul to Timothy, in the closing of the book, he says this, verse 17, he says, As for the rich in the present age, here's a couple things. You ready? Charge them not to be haughty. I said that a couple weeks ago, and people made fun of the way I said it, but that's the way that it's spelled. You know, if we're in South Carolina, it's haughty, but it's, it's haughty. Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous, ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And so here, Paul didn't take an opportunity to say, hey, as for all the rich, tell them to sell it all. He didn't say that, because apparently there were some that Timothy was ministering to where he was, that they had wealth, that they had excess, that they had plenty, but yet apparently they were stewarding it pretty well. It wasn't a heart issue to such a degree that they needed to get rid of it. It wasn't that roadblock, that stumbling block to worshiping the one true God. And he says, as for those, if they have that, maybe they've been great stewards. They were given five, they made five, brought them back to God. He said, good job. Here's here's some more. Do it with that too. Maybe they were being great stewards, like the parable last week. So he says, here's more instruction for them. As for the rich in this present age, our present age, looking globally, 44K plus, if that's you, first thing that you need to do is be grateful, not proud. Be grateful, not proud. And what that looks like is you look at your vast fortune, whatever that looks like for you, and you give thanks to where thanks is due. You say, God, thank you for this. Thank you for this. 
thank you that I could afford to put shutters on my house last week because the old ones were ugly. Or maybe thank you that I have a house. Or maybe thank you that I have an apartment. Thank you that I have one and a half good running cars. Whatever it may be, you're, you're wealthy. We're all in the same play, playing field, okay? Okay, so it starts with A, realizing where it comes from. It came from God. It's a grace gift. He expects us to steward it well. Go back and listen to last week. If you missed it, you'll hear all of that multiple times. You won't get to yell when I say contentment, but you'll hear some other stuff. So thank you, God, for that. Don't be proud. In this place, the haughty idea is being proud of yourself for what you've acquired, what you've gained, what's yours. He says, for the rich in this present age, don't be that. Instead, be thankful. Be thankful for what you have. Um, thank you, God. Uh, likely you have it because you stewarded it well. He's giving you more. So just thank you, God, for giving me this. Thank you, God, for giving me the opportunity to do more with it. Number two, he gives a little more instruction and he says, um, do not set your hope in it. Because here's the danger. It says that many were led away, they were enticed, and they were, they were given over to great pangs. They experienced a lot of loss, like pain in the deep gut. That's a pang, P-A-N-G. Like they experienced those because they were enticed away by their wealth. And, wealths. and the reason that they were enticed away by their wealth is, yes, they loved God, but then there was this wealth, and instead of placing their hope in God, they began to place it in their financial ability. He said, so don't be proud, be thankful, but second, don't let them place their hope in their money. For the wealthy, the wealthy, don't let them place their hope in it. That's not where their hope goes. Like we look at scripture, like I love John chapter 3, and if you read John chapter 3, all of it, not just 316, but everything leading up to it, it talks about what is capable of holding our hope. And at the end of it, I'll give it away, the only thing that can hold our hope is just Jesus. Like everything else is like a colander at the end of the day. We pour stuff in and it just falls out. And we just keep having to adding, adding, and adding, and it keeps falling out. But Jesus is like this perfect big bowl that's strong. We pour our hope in it, he holds it perfectly and continues to hold it perfectly, never going anywhere. And it's at the perfect temperature that it doesn't evaporate. What world is that? I don't know. But either way, we're going to stop with the scientific stuff like he holds our hope. Everything else doesn't, whether it's money, whether it's anything else. It just wasn't designed to hold our hope. It just Jesus. So he said, look, if you're wealthy in this present age, don't, uh, don't be proud of it. Be grateful for it. And don't, don't put your hope in it. Don't set your hope in it. Because hope is like the long-awaited payoff of the joy that we have now. And that's not money. Because money gets spent. Money burns up. Money goes away. Jesus does not. So don't, don't place our hope in it. But then he gives them a little more instruction in verse 18. He says, they or to do good with it, to be rich in good works. So they're rich with money, now be rich in good works. They're to do stuff with it. Again, the parable of the, man, the parable of the talents. We go right back to it. He's like, look, I gave you five. What'd you do with it? Well, I went and made five more. Here you go. And by the way, they didn't try to keep the initial five. They're like, nope, all 10, it's yours. All 10 of those talents, which were bags of money, by the way. They're all yours. So he said, look, like, if you're wealthy in this, in this existing age, this current age right now, be grateful, not proud. Uh, do not set your hope in it, but do good with it. You have it for a reason. God has entrusted you with it because he saw that you had the capability to steward it well and to do good stuff with it. He didn't give it to you just so that you can build your bottom line. He gave it to you for kingdom work, for kingdom purpose, for kingdom commerce. Figure out a way to invest it. We gave you a couple steps last week of good places. Like if we're thinking about where we can place the money that God has entrusted to us, and put it somewhere where it has the most return, we gave you some steps last week. 
And you think through those. You pray through those. If you don't have, if you don't have like a framework for what that looks like, man, come and talk to us. We said the, a couple places in accordance to Scripture first, you do. You give to your local church. If you have a local church family, a faith family, yes, by Scripture, by design, by the way that God set up His bride of Christ, we are called to contribute to the needs of the saints through the local church. There's no wiggle room around that. And to be honest, if you call this your faith family and you are reluctant to give because you're just like, mm, no, then you have a trust issue, you have a faith issue in God and in God alone, not in people. And if you're struggling through that, I'd love to talk to you. I'm not mad at you. I understand because money is one of those issues. It is a tight-fisted issue. It is mine, 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 until God says that it's not. And that's a glorious day. Because it takes the stress off. I love some of the things we heard in our community group this week of just like the pressure being released uh, when we finally just admit, man, this is not mine. I'm not going to stress about it so much. I trust God with my salvation. I'm going to trust him with my money too. And even when I say that it's mine, I'm just kind of saying that figuratively because it's his. The local church was one of those places. Family needs within your faith family. Seek every opportunity to do good, especially those within your family. Galatians 6.10. Uh, other good works. Maybe it's missions. Maybe it's our kids in Guatemala. Whatever it may be, give towards those things. And then widows, orphans, and poor. But then I reminded you too, like the beauty of the local church, and this doesn't get you off from doing those other things, but the beauty of this local church, especially the way that God has set up our finance and he's trusted us to steward it well, and we may not be perfect, but we give to all of these things every single month. As soon as it comes in, it goes out. It takes care of widows and orphans. Uh, it takes care of the poor. Um, it takes care of those other big spiritual things. We support church planners. We support ministries who take care of people that don't have homes, that don't have money, that don't have food. We take care of ministries and places in which moms don't know what to do with their babies if they carry them and deliver them. And we want to say, look, we want to take care of you. We also want you to hear the gospel. We get to do all of those things. We get to do all of those things because you graciously and generously give to us. And then we're giving on your behalf. And then also, to be honest, we also get to pay staff who shepherd and equip other people. We get to pay rent so that we have a place that we can worship. We get to pay for an office space where we're going to get to love our city and shepherd our folks and see kids come and sit together while their parents go out and have a good time. And also, we're, we're pouring Jesus into them. We're going to have a youth group someday. That's where they're going to meet. All because people just give a little bit of what they have. And if you can't give a little bit of what you have because you don't trust the people to handle it well, you might need to go to a different church. Sorry, I'm off my soapbox now. I'm going to take a sip of coffee because that calms everything down. With all due respect, and I mean that, not like Ricky Bobby terms. If you struggle to give towards your local church, I'm not telling you to leave. I'm telling you to have a conversation. There is nothing about our money that we hide. If you want to see where every cent goes, we will tell you. We, we printed out and handed out a budget of where everything's going this year and where it went last year uh, at our family meeting. If you weren't at our family meeting, you want a copy of that, we'll give it to you. And that's the general one. We'll give you the very specific one to show you where every single dime goes because it's just money. It's all God's. It's all his. He's just asked us to steward it. And we prayerfully go after that and steward it the best that we possibly can. And it's not just one person. It's multiple people. So anyway, do good with it. Be generous. Romans 12, 6 through 8 is listing some more of these spiritual gifts, and, and it actually says, uh, be grateful for, but also seek other spiritual gifts. Maybe you have money, maybe you have means, maybe you have wealth, but you don't know what to do with it. Maybe you should pray for the gift of generosity, because it's real. It's real. 
those spiritual gifts that God gives us as part of our salvation, it's a package deal. Just because those are the only ones that he gives you there doesn't mean those are the only ones that he's ever going to give you. He will give you more. And if you need the gift of generosity because you have this other stuff that you've been asked to steward and you don't know how to do it very well, you're stingy, maybe you just need to say, God, through your spirit, I would like for you to gift me with the gift of generosity because I would like to steward this stuff well. But be careful. I'm just telling you, be careful because you could start giving it away. And that'd be awesome. That's why we were giving it in the first place. So pray for God to grow your gifting. I love to think of umbrella statements that kind of encompass everything. And I love how Jesus closed out that passage that we read first. His disciples, they looked around and they're like, gosh, this is impossible. Jesus is like, you're right. It's impossible for you, but not for me. It's impossible for you, but it's not impossible for me. We have to trust the God that makes the impossible possible. We have to trust the God that makes the impossible possible, whether it's where we direct our love, whether it's how we manage our money, whether it's how much we love our money. Maybe it seems impossible for you to break that. It's not. It's not. But you do need to seek it in the form and in the life, in the death, in the words, and in the power of Jesus. You need to seek it. If there's a stronghold in your life, and is that and it is that you love money more than you love Jesus, the first step is just confessing it. Because that's what we do with sin, and that's what that is, to be honest. It's sin. It's idolatry. And we just say, God, I, I do. Like, I, I'm ashamed to admit it, uh, but I love money more than I love you. I don't want to. Confess, repent, and then uh, we say, Jesus, I believe you can do the impossible, and right now I need you to do that in me and break my love for this money and grow my love for you. That's the application. That's it. And then, with all of that, that newfound love for God, realizing it's all His anyway, we try to figure out how to put it to work. Put it to work. Let God take that generosity that He's displayed on us through Jesus, His life, His death, His resurrection, for He became poor so that we could be rich, and figure out how we steward it. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that, that God, through him, you can do the impossible. I mean, as it, as it pertains to salvation, there's no chance I could earn it. There's no one thing. There's no 100 things that I could do to save myself. There's no list long enough. But God, you being rich in mercy, even when we were yet still sinners, gave grace to us through faith that we could be made right with you because of the work of Jesus, not the work of me. I'm completely incapable, God. I, I want us to see that we are completely incapable of earning this, but Jesus earned it for us. And so, God, thank you for him. God, I pray you convict us on what we love. Maybe it's not money. Maybe it's our job. Maybe it's our stuff. Maybe it's our things. Whatever it may be. God, if we love that more than we love you, just tell us. Show us. And then point us towards what we need to do. Confession, repentance, seeking you and your restoration, your healing for that, and reorienting our hearts. 
so that we can understand. It's all yours. It's all yours. Let us do with it what you would like. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his wisdom. Thank you for his just extreme generosity. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.